Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is David Johnston, a Tennessee-based nature and landscape photographer who's been moving into new markets and styles with success in the NFT community. We talked about the way his photography has evolved, how he balances family and business, and the future of digital art. David, thank you for taking the time to be. Uh, it's it's early here in Portland. It's eight, almost 8 a.m. It's a little bit later in the morning where you are, but I appreciate you uh, getting up this morning and taking some time to talk. I've been up for hours now. Uh, my daughter is, she has a cold and is also teething. So um, early mornings for me. Okay. So, and is this, the, is this your, your first child? Yes. Yes. Oh man, that's, that's congrats. That's uh that is a season of life for sure. It's wild, isn't it? It's, she just turned one a couple days ago. Um, and just like reflecting on the whole experience of her turning one has been, um, I'm not, I don't, I'm not one to get like emotional or anything, but I've been like an emotional wreck the past week. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, I have definitely been there. We, we have been talking on Twitter, um, for the last few weeks and I, I think you mentioned something about that selling your art is really cool. Getting your kid to bed from the car to the bed without waking them up is even better. It's a sport. Yeah. It's a sport, really. <laughs> and and those who do it well, I'm amazed at because if I can just lay her down in bed, it's magic. Um, typically she won't she won't nap unless she's like right on me. So mm -hmm. I'm stuck for a good three hours during the day if I'm keeping her. Totally been there. Yeah. So my <laughs> my 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 kids are my oldest is almost eighteen. Uh -huh. My middle son is 16 and is in literally the first like couple months of driving solo, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, which is a whole different kind of uh, stress and uh, being a wreck. Um, not literally, hopefully. Um, and then my daughter is 13 and man, she's like very typical 13 year old. She's a sweetheart until she's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I spent lots and lots of time practicing those exact skills you're talking about. What did they say to you when, when you told them you were going to start a podcast? Oh, they don't care about this at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, they, my oldest son is into audio. He, he's an electronic musician. So we literally have the same digital audio interface and the same headphones. He, I, nice. he got them. I was like, hey, those are cool. I'll borrow those. And then my microphone is, I'm going to say about 24 years old. So it's a dynamic mic that I used to use on stage when I was a performing musician. It's, okay. the, it's the same mic that I searched out and found and really liked. So it's old school dynamic mic. You got to plug it into a preamp. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was funny because my oldest son, digital audio, he's like, oh yeah, you should do this. And he comes over when I'm editing and he's, well now, did you, I, I, can't, I can't even remember the terminology, but he had some... He had some terminology about editing. I'm, I edit in Logic, and he's like, "Oh, how, how about you try this and you know do this and use this plugin?" And so that's as far as they care about it. Yeah. Other than that, it's like, "Oh, Dad's doing his weird thing with headphones and a microphone." It's nice to have help editing, though. That comes in handy. 
Yeah, when it's it's interesting because I've, I've I've put a couple in front of him and said, "Hey, you know, you want to help?" And he's like, uh, uh, "He really wants to go make a new beat." That's not right. So, right. <laughs> he's like, "There's literally five tracks here, Dad. Two, <laughs> two of them are the backing music for the intro and the outro, and then two of them are you talking, and one of them is somebody else talking." So, right. It's not super exciting editing. <laughs> Can't win them all, but uh, they are, um, they're beautiful kids. They're amazing. And it's really a fun season of life to be in. For sure. For sure. I can't even imagine getting there at this point, but, uh, but we will. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I think everybody talks about, oh, you know, it goes so fast. And one of the things that's interesting for me, and, and this really plays into how I think about both my career and, and landscape photography and, and all that stuff is that they just their the needs of the family change over time it is it's such a weird fluid sort of thing and i realized the other day i was like we're we're 5 years away from being having no kids at home that's yeah. kind of crazy to think we're on the other side now cuz for so long you're just like oh yeah this is my life yeah yeah that's wild um yeah, we're right on the beginning of that. And and people, it's funny, I don't know if it's like this up where you are in the Pacific Northwest, but it's like down here in the Southeast, if you have one kid and like they turn one, everybody's like, so when, wh- where's the next one? Like when, <laughs> when is that one going to come along? And I'm like, let's pump the brakes. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm even ready to start thinking about that yet, uh, but We've talked about having more. We're, we're not really sure yet. Yeah. Well, it's, you know what, though? I'm super excited for you because it's, a, it's, I feel like in all aspects of your life, it's not that having kids makes you a better person. It's that it forces you to be a better version of yourself. Yeah, that's I, true. I, I think it, it, there's, there's this moment when you decide to cohabitate or you get married and, and you go, okay, cool. I chose this. This is, I picked this person. We're making this, this is going to be a, a thing we're going to make go. But when you have a kid, it's a kind of a different thing. And you go, well, like this person's part of me. So yeah. I kind of have to step up my game a bit. Right. Um, right. I don't know that the second and third kids make you be a better person, uh, but um, they certainly, uh, you get outnumbered pretty darn quick. Right. Right. Yeah. Hopefully not a worse person. No. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ch- change. Not just for, t- for change sake. Right. Yeah. So. Okay, so one of the things that I've said from the moment I started this podcast is that I'm super interested in, well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. What happens oftentimes is that you listen to interviews with people and they do go, they get on there and they say, hey, you know what? Tell me about how you made it big. Tell me about the thing that launched your career. And I have, from the beginning, been kind of meh, you know, blah about that. I don't really, that doesn't interest me that much totally interests me is this idea that you can be a holistic person, that you are a prolific photographer. You have just a boatload of work. You've met and interviewed and talked to so many people um, in addition to making the art that you make. And you're married and you have a kid. Like Those are, I think for a lot of uh, hardcore landscape type photographers, the, the married kid thing is almost mutually exclusive and I, or you find, or you find the right partner who's willing to put up with you. You know, I would love to kind of 
unpack that a little bit and kind of get a sense for how your family and, and that stuff plays into who you are as a photographer. Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, on the family side, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And I've talked to a lot of other landscape photographers about this, whether it's, you know, on record or off the record, like after we finish recording and we're just talking back and forth. But for the most part, a, a lot of people just say, you know, you either stay single um, and live the landscape photography life, which is out in the field, many, many hours, many nights alone in a tent and, you know, you're hiking long distances and all that. Uh, or you marry another landscape photographer, another outdoor enthusiast <laughs> right. who likes to do the exact same thing. And you have to like really find the right person to align your lifestyle and married life. And I just, I, t I took a little bit of a different route. You know, my wife, she could care less about photography. Um, she is, yeah, she's fascinated with what I do with a camera. And she likes to ask like how I created an image and different things like that. But typically our interests don't line up. She'll come hike with me if it's, you know, a two mile hike tops or, and not much elevation gain. Um, but that's kind of the max on where she is. And I, I just don't subscribe to the thought process of you have to marry somebody who is aligned perfectly with what you're trying to do with your photography, because you also don't have to spend that much amount of time in the field, more time in the field. Does it yield more photos, better photos? Oftentimes. Yeah. But I mean, if you find good locations that are around you, you can still make day trips up to, you know, I have, I don't live close to the Smokies where I shoot often, but, um, I have, you know, a, a Cypress forest that's an hour away from my house. Mm, I have, cool. uh, locations in North Alabama that are two hours away from my house. I can get there and back in a day and not have to worry too much. Chattanooga, I can get there back in a day, even though it's a long day and they have some good locations, but I really try to do maybe two to three photo trips a year. Uh, and besides that, I'm shooting close to around my house. Um, I've kind of, I've kind of adapted and invited in the, the macro photography, um, since I, since we did have a baby, um, and I couldn't go out for long periods of time. Uh, I did that and the pandemic too. I mean, couldn't really go anywhere doing that right. too. So I, you know, that that's kind of my thought process on, on adapting my photography to who I'm married to and the lifestyle that we choose to have. And not only that, but just going on trips together and not really focusing too much on landscapes, but just photographing things that are around me. And that's not something that I really promote that much. Sure. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in right away and say, I think our wives probably get along really well because <laughs> I, I, mine is the same. I, I have a whole bunch of awesome camping and backpacking gear. Mm -hmm. My wife does not camp. Yeah. So there's a sense of she just, she, she knows like, this is a thing I like to do and I'll go and, and I, I don't, I also don't do a lot of big epic photo trips. Um, 
and it has a lot to do with just I have kids and and uh, and I'm I also have kind of photography is my day job but it's different it's a different kind of photography yeah Um, and so I I I don't I don't get on a plane and go places uh, often uh, if at all for photography and my wife is perfectly happy to just turn me loose for a few days you know two or three days to go get in the car and just take off to different parts of Oregon and Washington that are close by yeah and that that kind of stuff too like I don't know if if our wives are similar in this fact but personality types total opposites like I'm high introvert she's high extrovert so if we're going to a party or something (laughs) my energy level is going down while hers is going up and we kind of have to decide at some point is is your energy getting too high where you don't want to leave and mine's getting too low where I'm like get me out of here as fast as possible two ships crossing in the night Yes, exactly. The, the part where the energy meets in the middle, right? Yeah. No, that's interesting. And I'm um, work opposite because my wife is totally introverted. She'll come home from work and and go, okay, please don't talk to me for a while. Um, she'll <laughs> just go disappear into the bedroom and you know stare at Facebook or text her friends. Yeah. And then I am kind of introverted extrovert. Um, so I like little tiny groups, you know, two or three people. Yeah. But but at big crowds, I just kind I kind of go, eh, that's not for me. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but I, I love that. And I, I think, so it's really cool that you mentioned this idea that when you go out together, and this is funny, my wife and I just had our anniversary and we went on a trip for the weekend. And I brought my camera and I had, it's still packed. And I literally haven't opened the camera bag since before <laughs> we left. Right. Um, and I know what's in there. It has a 35, a 70 to 200, and a 16 to 35. And I never even opened the bag because we were having a great time and there was never any reason for it, but that's not true on every trip. And I, you mentioned the the work that you make, it seems weird to call it work when you talk about traveling with your family, but that kind of photography is something that you haven't really put out there. And yet that's not super true anymore because you've started putting out a body of work that's really different than the stuff that you would have been known for, you know, two or three years ago. Right. And that's, right. that's kind of cool. Would you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. And that came, um, you know, for the, for the past, what up to two years ago, the past like seven to eight years of my photography has just all been outdoors. Um, while I also dabbled, in this other type of photography too. And that's just like travel and street photography with kind of pulling some of my landscape style into that as well. Um, but really it's just been something fun for me to do, uh, while my wife and I are doing like just walking around the streets of some of the places that we go to travel to, um, whether that be, a big city in the United States that we've never been to, or if we're traveling abroad and we're doing like a, a walking tour, some of those are, are my favorite scenes to photograph because they take you to some of the most local places if you find the right walking tour to go on. Right. Um, and this idea of really branching out in your creativity and your photography has been one with me that I started to pay attention to after a April um, convention for photography that I went to and presented at called the Outsiders Conference in Kanab, Utah. And Art Wolf was one of the main speakers. And 
the the body of work that he has you know i know i knew of art from his like nat geo wildlife work right but the body of work that he put into his presentation was everything it was portraits it was studio work it was street photography it was landscapes it was wildlife and i remember somebody asking him the question like how do you see yourself as a photographer like what genre do you do you kind of subscribe to with your own work and he was just like i don't really see myself it, that way i just see myself as somebody who can't turn what i see off and i just see things and press the shutter and right. that's what i create as a photographer and I came away, I talked to some of the other photographers who were there and I came away on the flight back. I remember thinking, you know, am I limiting myself by resisting a genre just because that's not what I'm known for? Or am I limiting myself by not putting something that I'm not known for out into the open and sharing it with people? And I determined that, that I was limiting myself that... I was going off the thought process of, hey, I'm a landscape photographer. All this other stuff is just, you know, photos we can put up in a picture frame in our house and remember from the experience. And when I started to put um, that work out, uh, it's now in an open sea collection called Their Streets, is just, you know, it, it helps me remember this these trips that we've gone on and it helps me remember the experiences that I had. And it also helps me remember that I'm, I'm more than just a landscape photographer. I'm just somebody who is trying to see and create. And I could never promote myself on the same level as art does because he's a phenomenal photographer. Um, but I just, I wanted to go down that same road that he's going down because I can appreciate that thought process because when I'm traveling and I don't have a camera with me and I miss that moment, I think about it constantly. Like right. it's hard for me to go to sleep when I miss a shot that I know could have been really cool. Yeah, no, I, that totally makes sense. Well, and um, so I haven't ever talked about the idea of, so you mentioned OpenSea. OpenSea is a, a platform, um, a gallery market a marketplace for nfts which is mm -hmm. a it's a digital photograph that people can purchase using cryptocurrency ethereum to be specific and like this is super interesting because you've had some great success in this space what has been uh, so you have you have this collection what do you have I guess let me back up a little bit here. So this particular collection, it's called Their Streets, and I'll link it in the show notes. Um, which it's a super cool, um, great street travel uh, body of work, and it's and it's really great. Um, I'm I'm a big fan. So thank you. Yeah, how do you find that has been received in the NFT space versus your the work that you've more, done more traditionally? I think it's been a little bit slower um, just be, and I think that's because of my own hesitancy. Um, okay. I was afraid to put this out. Let me start there because <laughs> I, 
I think that communities like you find on social media like Facebook or Instagram can limit the people that you're reaching and it limits your creativity in the sense that if something doesn't get enough likes, you're like, Ooh, that, that may be branching a little bit too far out of my realm of expertise, pull back on that because, you know, I want the likes, I want the shares, all that stuff. Um, which isn't necessarily true, but I think with NFTs and Twitter, what I've found that nobody cares about genres really they care about the work that you're putting out um and i I, what i like about it is nobody cares about like who the top people are on other platforms i think it's really broken down a lot of walls in that sense i think it's broken down a lot of gatekeeping uh whether that be in my own mind or somebody else's mind about what you should be creating and it's really opened the doors for appreciation for a lot of other artists and a lot of other types of work within photography itself. Now, um, I would be remiss to say, you know, is the environmental consequence, uh, kind of weighing on my mind? Absolutely. But I'm trying to offset what I'm producing with NFTs with other forms. Like I haven't traveled. I've taken one flight in the past two and a half years. I'm Mm. not scheduling workshops to Iceland and bringing, you know, 10 to 15 people with me to on other flights all over. So, um, trying to offset carbon emissions on one sense to allow me to do this on the other, uh, has been on my mind a lot. And, and I do want to say that first and foremost, because I know there's been uh, a lot of pushback within the landscape photography community on NFTs in that sense. But, I do think it has created, and I I thought this was going to happen after the pandemic of so much time being off from being able to go places. Mm -hmm. I thought there would be this explosion, a renaissance period, if you will, of creativity and expression. And I think we're in the dead middle of that, um, coming out of this and seeing so many work, so much other work from other photographers and seeing them being bold and branching out and what they do too. Yeah. Oh, no, I think that's great. Um, man, you just, you just opened up so many cans there though. (laughs) 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 Um, which is cool. I, it's just so many things I want to talk about. I totally agree about the pandemic. It, It felt like everything was locked down. Yeah. And then, I have been, I've been working personally on a documentary project, which is taking, I'm not a film. I haven't been a film producer or a film director. So this is kind of my, my inaugural one. And it's taking a lot more energy and time than I had thought it would. But it's literally about an area that's part of, that's public lands in Oregon that has seen the largest increase in visitation in history. Yeah. And it's it's lots of photographers like that that's the reality is it's i mean there there are a lot of people just going there um to go visit um but there's also a ton of photographers that have started kind of making pilgrimage to these areas that are so far off the beaten path that most people would never go there and it's a really interesting to see i don't know i i kind of thought the pandemic would slow things down but it's like i'm seeing way more landscape photography than I've ever seen before. And it's because people are just getting hardcore about it. Like, oh yeah, I can't see anybody. Well, I'll get in my car and I'll I'll get out in nature. 
and mm-hmm. for better or for worse, you know, that there's, there's a degree to which it's impacting the world in ways where I think we hadn't planned for or expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So having said all that, you brought up the, the ecological impact for NFTs. And I, I think that it's, it's interesting. You said it's weighing on you because maybe more so than anybody else, us as people who are nature photographers, there's this kind of, there's this kind of two sided thing to it where we have always, you know, like there's a group called nature first that, um, I know that I've gotten involved with and, and, and said, Hey, I, I signed the thing saying, yes, I, I agree with the things they stand for, which is that basically nature is more important than our adventures. <laughs> and NFTs are an interesting thing because there's lots of information out there that says that the, the computational activities that it takes to create the blockchain ledger um, entries that, mark our art are super, super carbon negative. They are, you know, potentially as, as bad as getting on a plane and flying somewhere, uh, that kind of thing. And I know the numbers are, you can debate them. There's all kinds of different places where that stuff comes up. I would love to talk a little bit more about how do we, and, and how do you, how do you think about it? I have ideas, but I'd love to know how you think about ways to offset that. And I don't necessarily mean carbon offsets, buying them, you know, buying carbon offsets, because I know that's a thing. I'd love to know what you, how you're thinking about that and both what you're doing now, but what you're maybe thinking about too. Yeah. um, I think that carbon offsetting is a big part of it. Um, Like I said, reducing your flights um, is huge. And that's not saying that like reducing your flight so you can drive across the country. That's not what I'm saying at all, because that would just be like doing the exact same (laughs) thing. Um, (laughs) um, let's buy an old bus and, uh, (laughs) yes, yes, (laughs) right. Exactly. Now I'm saying like really putting in the work to finding locations close by you Mm. um draw a three-hour drive radius around your home and try to explore every area around that is something that i've really been trying to do uh within the past few years um and reducing my carbon emissions that way of you know not driving out to utah uh maybe flying out there once every two years um but i think like it's interesting that the thought process for me, because NFTs are so new that people typically haven't, the the typical person hasn't really thought twice about buying a flight and going somewhere to photograph something. Right. But we are, we are going so far as to like unfollow people or chastise them for posting an NFT when it could be the exact same amount of carbon emissions. Right. And, and I think, you know, technological advances as they continue to improve on that will reduce the amount of computation that it does take right. to encrypt something on the blockchain. And it's something that they have said that they plan to do in the future. Uh, I'm hoping that comes sooner rather than later. But I think that the current environmental state of what it is will become a moot point in the future and Mm -hmm. and hopefully in the near future but offsetting your carbon emissions you know my wife and i have always been 
minimalists. Uh, we have a small home. Uh, we, I mean, we lived in a tiny house in 160 square feet for two years uh, before we lived in Haiti for two years. So that was really reducing our carbon footprint. Right. And then when we had it, we knew we wanted to have a baby. So we bought a home that was small enough, but also had that extra room for our baby. Uh, and we plan to continue to do that and, you know, not use as much power and we compost and we try to grow our own food and buy from the farmer's market. All mm -hmm. these things can go into reducing your carbon footprint and making those educated choices on reducing my carbon footprint this way while also creating NFTs, which, which honestly have helped me make a living in photography, hmm. um, have helped me produce income for my family. Uh, and, you know, in times of pandemic, when we really had to scrap on how we are going to adapt to make an income, um, this has been a great adaptation for me financially. Um, so, so I think weighing both sides is, is really big. Go no, ahead. I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Uh, I, I love the, so I, I just recently listened to another podcast with our mutual friend, Matt Payne. Yeah. And he had interviewed a, a, a handful of, like had a, a little round table with some people. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think it was, it was an early, I'm a Patreon supporter of his. So I, I saw it early and it's not out yet, but, and this might even come out before then. Cause I'm, sure. I'm, I'm not big time like Matt and I just edit them and get them out quick. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting that they talked a lot about the idea of, oh yeah, you know, I'll, maybe I travel less. And for me, one of the parts that's super interesting about this is that there is so much conversation happening about carbon footprint where I think landscape photographers oftentimes didn't even think about that before. And so for, for me, what I'm trying to do personally and when I get into conversations is I think it, it makes sense to have a conversation about, okay, what does this whole crypto blockchain thing even mean? Mm -hmm. How does it operate? And how, how large a part are we as photographers and NFT artists, how are we even a large part of that? And are we? And how much of it is happening without us? So... I think there was there's some numbers to show that we're like less than three percent of yeah, the of the sure. crypto activity that's even happening, yeah. which is insane. If you look on Twitter and the amount of activity oh, in landscape photographers, you're like, oh, these guys are like pulling the chariot on this. Yeah, and it's just not. I mean, if you no. if you start looking on OpenSea, you can't. It's hard to even find photographs because there's yeah. so much other stuff. So here's I think maybe what's a little bit interesting about this is that it's we're a tiny part of that, and crypto is set is super super small in terms of the total carbon impact of the planet compared to so many other things including and i thought this was really interesting like youtube dwarfs the crypto impact on the planet right like youtube viewership the amount of energy that's used for viewing youtube <laughs> is like one of the worst consumer offenses that exists Right. It's, it's it takes up massive bandwidth to host, to create, to watch all of that stuff. So I think it's interesting not to say that it excuses us from being careful and from thinking about it, but that it makes sense for us to view it holistically and to look at the, a few things. 
the pandemic's happening. So you're, you have leaned into this and been very successful with it, which means you're not traveling to go host workshops to make money. Um, that's to me an interesting development. Like that's, that's a way more holistic thing to look at and to say, okay, is there some kind of math that makes sense here? And can we, can we be a little bit less reactionary and start to think, okay, how do we look at this in, from the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I hate to go this route when we're talking about carbon footprint, but being happier with my photography I'm the most happy I've ever been with my photography right now because when I started, I said, I want to take photographs that people love and enjoy so much that they purchase those. Right. And it is happening. Imagine now. that. Imagine, Imagine that. that. Like <laughs> I've sold prints in the past, not very successfully. Um, and, and think about, you know, the amount of supplies, the plastic that it produces, um, the matting, the framing, uh, the the paper and all the work that goes into that. I, I was not very successful in that. And it's always been something that I've tried to do because that's the first thing, you know, how cool would it be if somebody saw this and enjoyed it so much that they wanted it in their home? This is just the digital version of that for me. And it it honestly, I hate to say it because I want to say I validate my own photography, but it validates what I create and what I see in a way. And yeah. maybe that, that in itself has put me on one side of the fence on the NFT argument, because I do have this outside validation from other people that they like what I'm doing. And maybe that, you know, spurs on my not so fiercely argumentative side, um, for in support of NFTs and how they are. I do believe they're going to be around for a long time. Um, but also, you know, I'm just happy. I'm enjoying what I'm doing with it. And I think that speaks volumes. Well, I think that in our world, the, the photography world, that there's this, I don't know if you've heard this. I hear, hear this device all the time. The idea that as an artist, you need to stay true to your own vision and make the art that moves you. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, then you'll find the audience. If there's an audience for it and you are passionate about it and you stick to your vision, you'll find it. And this feels like a moment where that's opening up and yeah. there's more opportunity to do the things you believe in yeah. and find an audience. Yeah. And, and in the, in the Instagram influenced world, you had to just create single images that were, that were, I mean, this sounds terrible, but like there were bangers, right? <laughs> With a Z. Yes. In order to get noticed. And yeah. it's super refreshing to see, you know, street photography bringing in, you know, huge amounts of sales from people who go, this is really valuable. Yeah. And, and, and to see whole collections of, like in the past, you would have had to choose one of your um, from Appalachia with love. Yeah, you know this this new collection that you're that you that I've just been scrolling through here. You'd pick like one or two of those mm-hmm. and release those on you know in Instagram or Facebook and hope that somebody wants to buy a print or that it it gets people to look at your work. But now you get to put the whole thing out there and people want to buy all of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, and it also, like you said, it opens the door to more eyes on it. Um, outside of the quote unquote bangers that people post, (laughs) which let's Um, be clear, we're basically showing our work to other photographers there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it clicked with me. Like I saw the value. I'll admit, first off, I didn't see the value in collections when all of this started for me. None of us. Um, I was like, okay, here's some one-to-one images that don't really have connection to the other one. If you like them, great. If not, I do. Um, and then when, uh, TJ Thorne put out his collection, ebb and flow, his abstract water series. Right. And TJ, I've always been a huge fan of him. He's an amazing person. I was like, I'm really interested to see what happens here. Um, and then when he sold out in three hours, I was like, okay, I had my doubts about, abstract photography or small scene photography enthusiast in this space, but it's obviously there. Um, and just people seeing what they think is cool or a good investment, one decision to purchase or another, um, that became wildly successful and I love it for him because he deserves it as a photographer. So this is kind of a fun little anecdote side story. I was over in his Discord channel, uh-huh. and I saw a couple of the photos, and I'm like, these look awfully familiar. <laughs> and I was like, TJ, is that? These are from Punchbowl Falls, right? And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, you and Cody were there that day. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was there with another buddy, and we ran into him. He was leading a one-on-one workshop yeah. and, and shooting these. And he goes, hey, man, come over and look at this. So I actually watched him take cool. a couple of these pictures. Cool. So it's interesting to, and that, this was like a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to be able to, I'll raise my hand and be a witness that TJ has been working on this for a long time. This yeah. is, it's a body of work. He didn't make this just because, oh yeah, these will be cool. I'll sell a bunch of these on as NFTs. No, this is like a full on passion project for him Yeah. that he's been working on for a long time. And I think that story, that story is largely what has sold that collection for him, I think. Right. Right. And I, it's so funny too, because me and him were texting like the day before and he was like, Hey, I'm really nervous. I don't know how this is going to be received. And, uh, I was like, well, just make like a realistic expectation for yourself. Like how many do you think you'll sell realistically? And he was like, I don't know, one. (laughs) And I was like, I saw it like continue to sell. And I was like, how about that one sale there, buddy? Um, nice. you really crushed it, but, um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't go to a more deserving person. He's, he's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's, it's been, he and I've been chatting. We hadn't actually met in person until that day I ran into him, Uh but we had been chatting and texting and DMing and everything for years. And back when he was working as a cook at a local grocery store deli, um, and I was working at, I was a banker. And I was like, yeah, I, I support the branch that's like right across the street from where you work. Let's get lunch. And we kept trying and we never made it work. But um, yeah. he's been super consistent. So, okay, enough about TJ. He's had so much success. Everybody <laughs> wants to talk to him. And I'm Forget hoping... TJ. Well, I, <laughs> I really want to have him on here. Um, but I want to dig in deep on not the NFT part. But I really want to talk to him about the process because I think it's fascinating. So Sure, sure. Um, okay, cool. So... 
one of the things I, I want to shift gears a little bit. This is is great, and I'll, I'll maybe come back to the NFT thing a little in a little bit here. But I would love to know. So you are pretty prolific, not just as a photographer, but as somebody who's interviewed tons of photographers. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I was confessing to you before we recorded that I re-listened to one of your interviews <laughs> from back, back in 2018. Yeah, your life is really different now. Um, yeah, you have moved from back from Haiti back to the United States. Mm-hmm. You are living in the I think Nashville area. Is that right? I'm in Jackson, Tennessee. It's Jackson, like an Tennessee. hour and a half okay. from Nashville. I just totally don't know that area at all. So, hey, I don't blame you. Why yeah. would you? <laughs> Um, it's somewhere I want to visit, but I haven't, haven't had a chance. Um, but your life is really different and I would love to kind of talk about that. I mean, there's obviously things like the pandemic, there's things like NFTs, there's things like being back in the United States, but what is, what has changed with your life in the last couple of years and, and and who are you as a photographer now? And, and, and maybe like step back from that, who are you as a person now? Like, how has that changed? How have things changed for you? I'm much more slow in my approach to everything. Um, I take time to, if I'm in a discussion with somebody and I'm approached with a topic, um, I really want to formulate exactly what I think about that before I say anything. And I think I'm the same way with my photography. Um, I've, you know, when I came back from Haiti, uh, I dealt with PTSD for a while and I went to counseling and therapy for that. Um, for a long time we did, you know, therapy like EMDR, which triggers different sides of your Mm -hmm. brain when you're, um, going through an experience uh, and reliving it. And that helped me, um, you know, my therapist said, you know, you're not trying to forget this happened, but you're trying to cease to live in that experience in the present, right? You're breaking out of the past and you're assimilating that experience back into who you are in the present. Right. Um, which, which I thought was a great way to explain it. Now, me as a person through that, um, I've invited things like mindfulness into my life, uh, meditation, which since having a baby has been uh, hard for me to do on a consistent basis. <laughs> you uh, need some good noise canceling headphones yeah, for that exactly. and tell your wife like, Hey, I'm not going to respond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give me like 15 minutes. Yep. Um, but when I am, when I'm photographing that becomes very evident. Um, and I didn't know I was doing it before I went to counseling. Um, and I explained, she was like, well, what, what do you do when, you know, you're experiencing nature and all this? And I explained what I do and how, you know, I decide on a composition. And she was like, you're literally already doing mindfulness. You know how to do it. You're just doing it in a completely different artistic way. Right. Um, and I've brought that into, uh, my life a lot more. So as a person now, I think I'm much more globally minded and globally aware of, you know, how things happening throughout the world have a chain reaction on other parts of the world. Right. Right. It's not just that one location. Let's take 
Haiti, for example, mm-hmm. you know, if they have a gas shortage, that's not only affecting them, but now that's affecting uh, those shipping that there because they're having to pay for the ships that are sitting in the harbor and they're refusing to deliver that. And coming from personal experiences, I know sure. how this works. <laughs> not to um, not to re-unpack your uh, tr- sure 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 <laughs> your stress, um, but it's just funny how like you become much more aware of the chain reaction of events that can happen, not just within your little circle of understanding. Right. Um, And I think that's made me a much more uh, slower to speak person and somebody who, you know, may shy away from confrontational discussions more often than not too. Um, I do that a lot more than, than I used to. No, that's cool. Um, it's interesting you brought up EMDR. Um, so my wife is, <laughs> I'm, I think like a lot of, uh, photographers that, you know, I do, I do this as a career and my wife has a totally like hardcore, great paying job with all the benefits, which is really mm-hmm. cool, but she works in yeah, mental health. nice for she, you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she works in mental health and, yeah. um, and so th- there's all kinds of really cool therapies. And one of the things that's great, and I think, I think that therapy as well as medication these are all super valid yeah and and it's it's i think it's really empowering that we're able to deal with our stuff in ways like that and emdr nobody knows but that is basically you're remapping the way your brain processes your connections to traumatic events yes which is really really super cool and you should google it if you don't if you don't know how it works I have, from the moment I heard about it, I've, I thought that sounds an awful lot like you're like, you are forcing perspective, right? Which is, it's super interesting because that's kind of a weird photograph. It's the thing we do as photographers all the time. We are framing things in a, we're delivering information in a way that has, it's really specific Mm -hmm. and in our lives, and this is maybe not to get too spiritual here, but the idea that almost everything that goes wrong, almost everything that, that doesn't go what we would call right in our lives is like when we react poorly, it's because we are, we have perspective problems and maybe that perspective problem is something that we can fix ourselves. Maybe it's something we need help with, Mm -hmm. you know, and the idea that, you'd have traumatic things from your past that you have to kind of go, okay, how do I, how do I figure out a way to frame this? So it doesn't like derail me. That's, it's cool to know that there's all kinds of tools to do that. And I love that. I love that you're, you've been able to reframe that stuff and, and learn how to have it be a stimulus on you, but not be debilitating. Well, yeah. And one of the things I learned too was, you know, an experience the our, our, the human nature, you know, we put a stamp or a label on every experience, right? And the most difficult one for us to understand or comprehend is paradox. You know, it right. can either, an experience is either good or it's bad. Um, it's in paradox, an experience is the, a mixture of the two. Right. And it's what you learn through it that helps you grow as a person. Um, and understanding, you know, these things 
didn't happen to me because I did this or this. They just happened because they were going to happen. And, you know, I can be fair to the other side too and say, look at the thousands of amazing things that happened leading up to this. Um, You know, you can't, you have to look at it as a, as a paradox situation of combining the good and the bad to, to really get the bird's eye view perspective. Oh yeah. This is like the definition of emotional maturity. Yes. It's, it's, it's basically being able to see that things aren't just happening to you. Yes. Yes. And I think it's, it's so, once you start to identify that, you, you can pick it out on other people so quick when everything is, they are all, it, things are always happening to them or things are always happening for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's so cool when you can begin to, to, to realize maybe the story's not about you. Yeah. Um, there's this, um, there's an author that I have been friends with for years and I, we've kind of lost touch a bit because he got so big and famous and does all kinds of cool stuff. His name's Donald, <laughs> Donald Miller. Okay. Yeah. And he wrote a book called blue like jazz mm-hmm. that, and he wrote another one that's called, Oh gosh. And I'm going to totally forget here. Prayer and the art of Volkswagen maintenance. Okay. And he is a, a memoirist who has now gone on to create this, uh, this coaching, um, business brand called story brand. Mm-hmm. But back in the day when he was not famous and he wasn't like a big businessman and, and all that, he had, this really cool section in one of his books where he talked about the idea that God is telling a story to himself. Right. And that our place in this, this is not, it's not the Dan Hawk show. It's not the David Johnston show. The, the story is way bigger. And whether you believe in God or not, or, or what your spiritual beliefs are, the understanding that the story is way bigger and we're players in it, but we're not the main actor. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is not your story. And it seems like when you can begin to view things that way, it impacts everything. It impacts how you treat your family, how you treat your friends, how you treat coworkers. And I think it really impacts how you think about photography, how you think about your audience, how you think about what you're trying to communicate and why you're trying to communicate it. So... I think it, yeah. And I had a discussion with another photographer, uh, Eric Erlenbush, who's, I love his style. He does like pinhole camera stuff and like film long exposures and ICM with film. Um, And we talked uh, on my podcast a few weeks ago. um, And I, I remember asking him the question, like, what do you hope to leave behind or what do you think you'll leave behind as your photographic legacy when you're gone? Um, and he said, like, took a really just off the wall answer that I was not expecting at all. Cause yeah, I was expecting Those are the some best. like, yeah, I was expecting some like philosophical quote I could like put up on my wall or something. And he was like, ah, I don't know, man, just a bunch of rolls of film left behind. And I was just like, that, that should be like our approach to photography. Like this is fun. We enjoy it. But when we're gone, like we should not be so obsessed with the quality of what we're creating because when we're gone or we've sold a print to somebody, it could end up in a yard sale for 10 bucks. 
Right. I mean, uh, if we're being really realistic with ourselves, yeah. it could definitely wind up there. But the NFT won't end up in a yard sale, right? That's right. It lives <laughs> there's no, forever. There's no physical print. <laughs> it's eternal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. I love it. No, that's, that's great. We've kind of, we've spun through the, uh, <laughs> through the meaningful stuff back to like, hey, I'm just taking a bunch of pictures. This is cool. Right. <laughs> no, I, I love that. What I f- have found interesting and, and the reason why it was, you know, why I wanted to talk with you is because I think, and I asked you how life is different. You have steered, and I, I think like anybody who's in, in this new NFT space, this community, it becomes a little bit, um, it becomes kind of the, the place where a lot of this stuff lives. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, and I don't know what your life has been like, but I, it is super easy to spend tons and tons of time focusing on this new market, which is just raging. It's going so fast. Mm-hmm. And I, I keep see people joking around that like, if you miss a day, it's like missing a month. Yeah. If, you, if you're gone for three days, you might, you may as well, like, it's like I left and now it's a year later. Yeah. Tell me if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to know what is your take on that? How did you, how long have you been involved in this and how, how do you view that speed and, and being involved? I love the speed of it. Um, but it also, that's an answer I didn't expect. I love it. Carry on. (laughs) Yes. Um, I, so I've grown up loving sports. Um, and I love, like the competitive nature of them. I played sports my entire childhood. Um, you know, what was your thing? Would you, would you do? Would you play? Okay. I played, let's see. I never played football, although that's what I love to watch most out of anything. Um, I played baseball for years, uh, tennis, some soccer, some, um, I played lacrosse for many years. Uh, and let's see, like basketball. I still play pickup basketball sometimes. Nice. Um, although now that I say that, I think it's been like three or four years since <laughs> I've played a game of pickup basketball. Um, anyway, yeah. I derailed you there. Go ahead. Yeah, Sports, yeah. competitiveness. Um, the competitive nature of it and the speed of it um, is what is what I love about them. And the business side of photography is something I'm really interested in too. And not so much the competitive nature in that I win, you lose more. So the competitive nature of like, if I lose, I want to figure out what I did wrong and how I can turn it to make it a little bit better next time mm-hmm. and, and try to figure out the game. Yeah. Um, and that is something that I think I've talked with a lot of landscape photographers and they're just like, I could care like nothing about that. I just want to take pictures. Mm-hmm. And really, if I took that approach of just taking pictures, I would get very bored with it. Um, I think the the business side of it really invigorates me um, for some reason. And the NFT space, the speed of it has excited me because every every day something different is happening. Every day I get to learn something different about whether it's what's working in photography or like video promotion for a project or, you know, sound quality on this, just little tweaks here and there or things like, Hey, this new 
generative project came out of a bunch of cartoon penguins. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, why this was a success right. versus this seal that came out the other day. I don't I stuff like that just fascinates me trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then once I'm able to figure that out or think I have a good grasp on it, trying to spin it in a way that I can bring into the photo- photography ph- photography community, <laughs> um, I think it is just a win for all of us. So, you know, if I'm able to, to figure out this length of time in a video, if I'm in like a photography group, I'm like, hey, these video promotions work really well. Be sure to keep it in this amount of time. Um, just, you know, this is how you do it in the field and just helping other people try to figure that out, mm-hmm. um, has been something really fun for me. Oh, that's cool. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is, uh, put on your speculative hat here. Yeah. Um, I am super like, it's interesting. I was in a space yesterday on Twitter talking and I had somebody who is a collector uh-huh. and, and somebody who's pretty, pretty prominent in the space, like ask me a really direct question. Like, okay. why are you doing this? Why, yeah. why bother? Like you're a photographer. Why are you even interested in this? And it totally took me off guard. And I was like, oh, I started sweating a little bit. Cause I was like, damn, like, I don't, <laughs> that's a, that's a hard thing because you don't want to just answer like, oh yeah, because there's money here. There's people who want to buy my art. Sure, sure. Um, I, I, I think I gave a pretty good answer, but it's very wrapped up in what I think is the future of digital art. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of looping us in with people who are making more graphic arts designed stuff that's meant to live on the web. Sure. But where do you... Where do you think it's going? Where do you hope it's going in, uh, in terms of like, what is, what could this mean for our, you know, I hate to use the word industry here, but our world, you know, this, the, this fine art landscape, visual arts world. What's exciting about it is I can make predictions, yeah. but I tr- like, and then watch yourself be wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's going to stick around for a long period of time. Uh, I think you're going to start to see photographers come up with ideas attached to the utility of NFTs uh, and how those can be used more so on this generative project framework. Mm -hmm. Um, I think roadmaps for projects are going to be very prominent and who can come up with the most creative roadmap for their projects are going to be the ones that thrive. And that can be a lot of different things of, you know, the longevity of a project, the value that somebody gets out of a project, if they buy into it, um, whether that be, you know, a low price versus a high yield on a resale on a secondary market, or even something that they get in the future. Like one of the things that I've tried to do is create different categories within my projects of let's take, uh, with love from Appalachia, for, for example, I created four different categories, forests, waterfalls, mountains, and abstracts. If you collect one of all four, you get one of those prints Mm. mailed to your house. Okay. So just like trying to figure out ways to gamify a a collection or a project is something fun that I've been trying to do. And and then where they go beyond that, I think is really interesting because I think 
time-lapse is something that I've predicted is going to be the next big thing. Um, I've had collectors DM me on those tweets and being like, yeah, I want to see more time-lapse in the space. Um, and, and when that hits, watch for names like Michael Shane Bloom to blow up, even though he already has in the, in this last week, uh, with his project with Cody Meyer, but his time-lapses are so good that he could easily sell something like that for three of five Ethereum, I think. Yeah. Um, well, it's then, so weird to see how it's even changing week by week. Yes. So <clears throat> I had mentioned uh, when I was talking to somebody yesterday that my friend Nate Luby, who is mm-hmm. lives in the Salt Lake City area now, but was a, lived in the Northwest for a while, has some insane work <clears throat> that he sold early on as kind of one of ones. Mm-hmm. for big ETH, right? I mean, for for big money. And then he kind of just stepped back. But he's got some great time-lapse work in there. So it's out there already, mm-hmm. but it's almost like the new these new collectors in this current vibe of things, this current wave, they almost don't know about it. It happened too long ago. right? And it's only right. happened in May. And that's what's so... I think that's what's so daunting about it. Because if I promote something that is going to come out in two days by the time that second day rolls around the day of the drop it's archaic at that point people have forgotten about it and i've heard people say like in reference to twitter if you're responding to a tweet that happened five hours ago that person has no idea what you're talking about yeah the threading is is not great on (laughs) on twitter but i mean that's how quickly it moves and, and I think that's what hangs a lot of people up. But I think that is exactly what should give us freedom to try things. Because yeah. people are so fast to forget on Twitter and in this space that if you produce something and it flops, people aren't going to remember that in mm. like 12 hours. So you can come back to the drawing board and produce something else a couple days later and see like, let's see if this works. Um, I have plenty of, I had, you know, one-to-ones that came out that for three days in a row, I made a promotional video drop coming tomorrow. Each one of those sold within an hour of dropping. Um, I did the same thing the next day. Didn't sell same things the next day. Didn't sell. Hmm. Um, so approaches can change and adjust and, if you produce something that again is is a flop, people don't remember that. They yeah. remember you for the art that you're creating when they see it and it resonates with them and they want to buy it. That's super encouraging to hear because uh, I think one of the things that's that's tricky is that <clears throat> for every artist who has had success, there are many of us, and I'm including mm-hmm. myself, that haven't sold anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, you know, and sometimes you put like your life's work into this. This is like a collection of stuff that you like are deeply passionate about. And mm-hmm. you go like, well, what do I do? Do I just put other work out there? Nobody liked that other stuff. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think the reality is it's a different audience this week than it was last week. Yeah. You know, and who you're talking to and who you connect with means that it's not even the same people. It's not, yeah. you know, it, it's a completely different group of people that's seeing it. The people I'm talking to today are completely different than the people I talked to a month ago. Yeah. Plus or minus a couple. Right. Um, 
But there's some people who hang with you, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think that's so encouraging. And I think a lot of us are afraid, like when we promote something and it doesn't do very well, or it takes a longer time to sell, we should look at it in the approach of, Hey, this collection is taking a little bit longer to sell out or to sell a few or to sell 10. Um, let's work on intensifying the relationship between the people who already have bought in Mm -hmm. and making it a good experience for them because you never know. I always see tweets that joke about, you know, finding like that feeling when you find a project from 2017, think Mm -hmm. about what was created in 2017 in this space versus right now. And when somebody unearths that and it blows up, yeah, you these things live forever so you never know when it's going to blow up no that's i think that's super cool i'm i'm loving that (laughs) so i have a prediction and i'll put it out there because we're recording and i so i i'm a commercial photographer by trade which Uh means almost all of the work that i produce in my normal like i've i have a headshot session on friday i have a uh, product. I have a bunch of products showing up next week, and all of those photos are made for the client, right? And all of them are copyrighted, which is really important because the person, the people that are I'm making them for, they license the images from me. But sometimes they decide to use them in ways that they didn't license, or sometimes somebody grabs the photo that wasn't even involved, and they were like, "I'm going to use this photo. I'm going to put it on my website." And up until now. I have always just said, okay, you reach out and you go, hey, this is copyrighted. Can you, you know, here's the bill or take it down, right? Mm -hmm. What's super interesting to me about the idea of an electronic ledger transaction, not a transaction, but a a token that's attached to the photo is forced copyright. The idea that you can't use it in an unauthorized way without it just telling me and sending a bill. Like, so, and I know that that's super far down the road, but to me, that's a super interesting utility because what if I put my photo out in the world and as I export it, it bakes the token into the JPEG so that if it's like a beacon that always calls home, right? Yeah. If it gets uploaded somewhere, if somebody downloads it, it sends home a, just sends home a message and says, this person downloaded or, or this image was embedded on a website or this image was mailed to a printer, you know, to make flyers and that there's always this kind of phone home identity thing so that when your images leave your hands, however they get used, it comes back to you. And I think that would be like the ultimate secondary market. Um, it require, it would require so much technical stuff, but I see the kinds of technical stuff people are doing. I know it's totally possible. You have to get like Adobe and, those kind of companies to buy in to create the file format. But um, to me, that's a super interesting idea that what if at some point we don't have to mint NFTs, every photo we export is an NFT. That's really interesting. And it's possible, right? Like I don't see why that couldn't happen. And those worried about an NFT, like somebody stealing the photo, um, which you know, somebody can go to your website and right. steal a photo just as easily. Um, but, and mask out the the watermark or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that is a, a view that protects the creator, right? 
and so many people worrying about like I've heard people like Gary Vee say, you know, this is the same thing as people worrying about using a credit card online five years ago, um, worried about somebody stealing your, um, intellectual information or your creative, uh, information. Um, yeah, that I would love to see that. Yeah. That would be incredible. Well, I kind of think about, this is a little bit off to the side, but like the idea is, so I was a musician in a former life. Um, I have an album that's available on iTunes and I have, what a, is it? Come it on. It's just me. Just it's my it name. Like it's just my okay. name. And the album's called upside down to earth. Okay. It is going a, to download it right. It's like this. a, it's like a Christian folk rock, okay. near, like 2000, like year 2000. And, um, I was strongly influenced by a lot of stuff, but like you'll, if you listen to it, you'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Some of that's good. And some of it's crap. But yeah. at the, I have 800 CDs in my garage that I can't right. give away, right? Yeah. But at the time, oh, I would be so upset if somebody bootlegged my CD and was started giving them out. And but we have we live in a world now where Napster doesn't exist, and the reason it doesn't is because streaming is so easy. Yeah. It is so easy for me to use an artist's music, and I don't. I just pay Apple my fifteen dollars a month for for um for uh, you know Apple Music. Or yeah. I pay my fifteen or twenty dollars to Spotify. It's so cheap, and I can just use it. And the artist gets paid, and it's incremental, but it just happens, and it's all baked into the way things work. So, like CDs, I have I have tubs of CDs which are nearly worthless at this point. Right. And at the at, so at a point in the past, every one of those was worth ten or fifteen dollars to me. Yeah, totally. And it's it's easy when new technology comes out and be questionable of it yeah, and concerned about what it could do to your bottom line. I think that's totally fair to, to question that and be concerned about it. But once you understand it and you look into it, then you can say, well, how do I use this and adapt to what's changing in the industry to help me out financially and kind of join in? If you look at people like on the music side and talking about Spotify, look at people like Chance the Rapper who was like, you know what? I forget CDs. I'm only putting out music on Spotify. Right. He did the opposite of what everybody else was complaining about, made it big and earned a hefty income from just touring. Yeah. Um, I don't need a record label. I don't need records. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think approaches like that have always resonated with me. Of, yeah what if I did give this away for free and just have people interested in it and then, you know, figure out a way to make money off of it later? Yeah. I wonder if this is a transitional, like I love it and I don't, I don't want to like belittle anybody who's buying them, but mm-hmm. I wonder if this is a transitional piece of the technology. If we're, if we're on our way to somewhere else where all of it has this digital um, signature sort of mark. And, and it, it can just become a little bit like I know the idea with uh, with crypto is that that we decentralize everything. Mm-hmm. But the very fact that you still have a place where you have to show them off, the very fact that there's still these marketplaces where you have to, you know, where you need to they need to be. Yeah. As, and I know that there, it was so interesting. I was listening to a, a, a group of hardcore crypto collector guys last night that were talking about 
they were talking to a guy who makes these wild it's crypto cities. Okay. And they were talking to the guy who's one of the guys who makes them. And he was like, oh yeah, we're talking about getting them on. I'm not getting, I'm screwing up the technology or the terminology here, but creating their own place where they live, their own digital contracts Uh so that they don't have to use these marketplaces anymore. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's at some point we'll just go like, I don't have to like put my stuff on a place like OpenSea. My stuff's just out in the world and people can just go, hey, I want to use your stuff. Cool. And then they just, we just trend, do a transaction. And it's yeah. it's way more like it's just ubiquitous. So Or or what if you could even bake something then that's like, hey, you're like a, a copyright contract and you're only allowed to use this for two to four months. And then it self-destructs. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's so many possibilities that, that you can think about. Yeah. Um, with these. Well, and I love, I love that portion of it. And I think that's why, you know, when I got asked, why are you in this? I'm like, because I just, because I don't even think we're even scratching the surface of where it's going. Yeah. And I think it's not just, I'm not just doing it because, Oh, I got to sell NFTs because I need to be in on it now. Like it's ground floor. No, it's because I see that digital art and attaching identity to this stuff. I think that's the future. In right. much the same way that I look at it and go, well, I'm 46 now, and when I was making music and I was in my mid-20s, if I'd had the tools now, if just lo- giving away the music for free was a thing back then, I think I, I think I would have been successful in a different way. Yeah, Instead totally. of always chasing record labels and always trying to, you know, I mean, that that was a dead end. I didn't go anywhere because of it. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe it's because the music's not good. You are free to go listen to it and see what you think. But right. with all, um, just remember, I was much younger and uh, <laughs> and I never got a record deal out of that. So uh, anyway, I have one more, a couple more questions and we've, we're already over an hour here. So David, I want to be mindful of your time. We've, we've all, all got stuff. Well, it's been a on. good conversation though. Yeah, that's been super fun. Okay. So we've talked a whole bunch about crypto. We've talked about all that stuff. But you are also a phenomenal landscape photographer, and you've had a long career of doing that before you ever did any of this. How is this current thing that we're all a little obsessed with, that we've spent so much time on, this whole you know, NFT thing, how is that affecting what, how you behave as a photographer? How is it affecting the art you're making? And you talked about met, being able to meditate while you're out doing photography. How is this changing that or, or is it changing it at all? It gives me a lot more freedom when I'm out in the field to create what I see rather than be put inside a box of what I think will be popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a much more freeing way to create um, for me and my own photography, uh, how I relate to nature and what it does for me. Um, but also on on the flip side of that, like, if you take the positive with the negative, I'm not getting out in the field as much as I used to. Um, and I mean, going out to take a whole day of shooting or being without internet for like two or three days going hiking and camping, you know, you come back and so many things have changed and it does create like this little bit of FOMO that you have the fear of missing out. Right. And, that that's a negative side of it. That's something that you kind of have to put up boundaries around. Um, and I've seen it creeping into my own mindset with it. And, um, 
hopefully catching it early and being like, okay, 5 PM, I'm going to stop. You know, that's the end of my work day. I'm not going to listen in on any spaces while I cook supper with the family right. or anything like that. Like right. have to put around some boundaries. Uh, and there can be like, you can make exceptions to boundaries and, right. you know, say your yeah, friend I'll invites spend- you. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think, I think that approach has eliminated a lot of the FOMO that comes attached to it. Um, but also it does like, I haven't experienced the feeling like it's work like I do with Instagram, Mm -hmm. like it's promotional work or, you know, I have to put out something every day. I haven't felt that because a lot of the stuff on Twitter is just like stupid thoughts that come into my mind or just like having fun. Um, but you do have to be aware that that's a possibility, um, with this and just to keep it loose and keep it fun because it does change so quickly. Um, but yeah, I think that would be my answer just to, it gives me more freedom in the field, but it also takes away a lot of time in the field. It'll be interesting to see how it it feels like it's so new that it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see how people like us are able to balance it. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've found myself telling people often enough, like you might need to, it's tempting to just be on in spaces all day long while you're doing stuff. Yeah. It may not be a very productive way to spend your time. If you, if you are a nature and landscape photographer or a re if you're a retoucher, like you might, you might be able to do that, but you might not be able to, and you have to figure out a way to balance that. Yeah. 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 I, I'm struggling with the same thing. I like, I want to be there to listen to all these cool conversations and support my friends and hear about new projects at the same time. Um, I want to be present for my family. I want to be able to go be in the field for a few days, goofing off and, and catching cool sunrises and sunsets without worrying about what's happening on the internet. Yeah. And yeah. I think if you take that approach, like you can come back in a few days and they're like, Oh, Dan's back. You know? <laughs> right. Welcome back. Come on in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here's what you missed. Don't even yeah. bother scrolling through the the group thread because <laughs> right. that that was that was yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this is this has been really fun. Um, so, David, I would love to know if there are any other artists, other photographers that you think I would have a good conversation with. Am I limited to an amount? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> but I but I'm I can only type so fast, so you might need to. Uh, might need to, I'll, I'll write them down as best I can and I'll reach out if I miss them. Let me, okay, let's start with uh, Eric Erlenbrush that I mentioned during our, during our pod, during our talk. Um, let's go with uh, Kai Hornung, who's uh, a photographer living in Europe. Um, let's see. John Barclay is somebody who uh, has been like a mentor to me in photography. Oh my gosh, so many are coming to mind. Um, Joshua Cripps is somebody who has great conversations um, and is a great person to, geez, how many more? Aaron Bobnick, Michael Shane Bloom. I was um, a little starstruck when um, Michael Shane Bloom showed up in the middle of something where I was talking yesterday. <laughs> I was like, he's listening to this, <laughs> um, which is pretty cool because I'm a huge admirer of his work. He's he's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's the funniest. Uh, uh, well, 
just off this conversation, what it brought to mind, Gavin Hardcastle oh, yeah, is a yeah. hilarious conversation to have with somebody. Yeah. Um, and a great photographer too. Yeah. Uh, just be sure to tell him he can't cuss at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> well, um, and I, we, we have kept it pretty clean, but that hasn't always been the case. <laughs> sure. Sure. On here. Um, so yeah. G- Gavin, Gavin on, on my show said of Michael, um, he looks like he's not doing anything when you're in the field with him. He's just like playing with a flower or something, but then you see what he created and it's like this dreamy, ethereal, like flower shot that you could never imagine in your life. Well, and did you, did you see the one he just dropped a couple of days ago, the dragon? Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, yeah. uh, and I saw other people's pictures that were out there with him. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's cool. Like I can see that that clouds in the background and that, but it's so crazy good. Yeah. yeah. It's insane. He's, and it's instantly him. Like you look at it and you go, oh, that's Shane Bloom. I mean, that, yeah, that's nobody else's work. That's obviously yeah. his. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm a big fan. So I just gave you like 10 names. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> um, no, I, I appreciate it. And one of the things that's, I love about this is that it's great to, you know, kind of get your perspective on this because because you have you've kind of straddled both worlds you came from this landscape world um Mm -hmm. making all these cool photos and then you're finding some success especially selling art that is not outdoor nature landscapes yeah and that's i think that's really cool Um, it's been fun it's got my brain spinning and i confess i was looking through my um my portfolio of work and looking at all this other stuff that i never share yeah. Going okay. What what in here is interesting, and it's been relegated to my hard drive up until now yeah. because I yeah. didn't think anybody would care about it. Well, that's the thing too. Just put it out there. What's the worst that could happen? It gathers dust online. It's yeah. gathering dust on your hard drive. Anyways. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. This has been super fun. Um, it's always great to finally get to talk with somebody who you've been chatting online with um, and see what (laughs) they're, we'll see what they're really like. So yeah, that's super cool. Thanks so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. What is, what are the best places for people to go and see your work online? If you go, well, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, That's probably the most fun you're going to have interacting with me (laughs) online. Um, Instagram, uh, I think my Twitter is D Johnston photo, uh, on Instagram, it's David Johnston photo. Uh, and then my website with where my podcast is, is David And the podcast is called the landscape photography show. Uh, and it's free on iTunes, Spotify and all that stuff. That's a great podcast. You've got an incredibly deep roster of guests. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. It'll be fun. It's always fun as somebody who records podcasts when you're interviewing somebody else who does this as well. <laughs> like <laughs> you're used to doing this. Yeah. That's super cool. I'm also going to link your, um, the open sea, um, account, okay. uh, so people can take a look at your NFT work. Yeah. Thank you. And see all that other cool stuff. Cause I don't think you have it currently linked on your website. I do not know. Any plans to do that? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll just add it to the, to the to-do list today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. Well, David, thanks again for taking the time. This has been super fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. 
You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at GoTakePictures. New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures.